Welcome to Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD, the podcast that delves into the diverse and impactful roles scientists can play beyond the lab. With me, David Mendez. Welcome to this new episode of Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD. This week, I have the great pleasure of having with me Wafa Al Dafidi. Wafa uh, has a master's in pharmaceutical science and is currently in her PhD. She's a candidate at UNMC. She uh, stands out for her dynamic career. She founded the Pharma Weekly Digest, a popular newsletter spanning LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter, where she curates the latest pharmaceutical news and industry buzz. With experience as a pharmaceutical scientist in leading pharma companies, Wafa has expanded her expertise to roles in licensing and patent specialization, showcasing her versatility beyond traditional academia and industry roles. And today we're going to talk about venturing into these atypical roles. So welcome to Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD. Wafa, it's really a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, David. Happy to be here. So Wafa, you are in your PhD. So um you know you you're you have all this doctoral work happening you have this newsletter that uh, that you are working on so this is already something that you've attached to your doctoral experience you bring some experience from before you have your masters uh, in pharmaceutical science um can you talk a little bit about what has motivated you during your phd and everyone knows how uh, how how much a phd can take control of your life but to to say, you know what, I'm going to have my projects during my PhD, uh, namely this newsletter that that you are uh, you are uh, publishing. Great question. Um, what motivated me? I would say this restlessness and curiosity. I really wanted to venture further, especially that everybody kept telling me that a PhD is all about cultivating these transferable skills that can be applied in any type of career. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if I can transfer my time management skills and my commitment and my academic writing into venturing outside of academia and doing this newsletter. And I wonder if I can be able to write to the masses moving from that academic writing into journalism writing. Um, I also was wondering if I have just venturing to see if I have this ability to just get people behind me and work with people and motivate them to make time and join my team and work with me in the Pharma Weekly Digest. So it was a great self-discovery just to see if you are really that person, if you really have those skills. And uh, it was really fun to work with a group and with a team. And how how does it fit in your day-to-day, in your life as a PhD researcher? A graduate um, researcher. Oh well, it's. I go to the lab. It's, it's just like it's like a job, a second job. As soon as I wake up in the morning, I check the news. What is the most relevant news that my readers need to know about? And I tweet about it, put it on Instagram and LinkedIn, and then on Wednesday night is when I cultivate the most important news to put it on the newsletter that will go on Thursday. Um, and then it's just, it's just like a job, but really is not really demanding job. It's just, I would say, two hours a day, um, which, you know. It's a you commitment. Can, it is a commitment. And it's good, too, because I want to see if I have it in me, if I can commit to something else where I don't have a boss or a mentor or a BI 
pushing me to get it done. Um, and yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's fun. <laughs> that's, that's very, very interesting. And I imagine that also, and, and please, please tell me whether I, I'm seeing right, that because you have these two hours that are dedicated to this, it kind of pushes you to really optimize the remainder of the hours and the, the time you spend in the lab. Yeah, it pushes you to be efficient. It pushes you to be efficient. And I just want to note that I did not add the Pharma Weekly Digest to my already existing BHD work until I got until I was further along with my studies, the final year. The final year, you already masters, um, you mastered all of your experiment, you can be efficient in your PhD. You still, I would say, at the end of the learning curve where you learn a lot of the basic skills, and that's when you're willing to open, have some opening in your schedule. Um, so I wouldn't be able to do that if I was in my early career in my PhD. I tried to do it in my master's and be a TikTok influencer. That that worked perfectly on TikTok, but I I I kind of let my studies slip a little bit, so I canceled that and I mm -hmm. went back. But yeah, yeah and, and the the PhD is also a different rhythm than the the masters. Now let's let's go back to and and we we will go back into because I'm really really interested in in how you see this this the newsletter uh working in the context of your the, the, the kind of career transition you're going to go into as soon as you finish your phd but before uh i'd like to kind of also look back uh what brought you here uh and, and thinking about your masters uh maybe what brought you into into science and and into into pharmacy can you t tell a little bit about your motivations throughout you know going from your undergrad to then your masters to then deciding to go into a phd I would say my parents wanted me to be a doctor, but I didn't want to be a doctor. So I said, okay, how can I satisfy them? So I went to pharmacy school. And when I was doing my pharmacy school, I was very studious. I was very good in science. I was very good in, in math, uh, but I didn't have the passion. And I was young. You know, when you're young, you, you still don't know. You're still trying to figure out yourself. So after I, I was done with my undergrad, I worked as a pharmacist for a little bit and I really did not enjoy it. It wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I said, okay, I remember that I enjoyed working in the lab and doing experiment. I wonder if I went for my master's and did a little bit of research, if I would enjoy it. And I actually did. I really, really enjoyed the scientific way. I really enjoyed science and I really enjoyed searching, uh, answering questions in science and the way we do science. And then I went for my PhD and I was very happy. Um, and then what really, a really common theme is that I always do something on the side. I always have extracurricular activity, whether it was supported in the university or whether it was just me just creating something and committing to it. Um, and I just through why I did that is because I always want to take from academia what I learned from academia those so soft transferable skills and apply it in other aspects and see does it work um, and also just to figure out yourself what do you like what do you not like what you're willing to commit to um, and I guess that's that's my journey and that's that's where I am right now it's very interesting uh, and this question of um having uh, extracurricular activities becomes more difficult at the PhD. But I, you know, I've had many conversations on, on the show about how important it is to keep at least some of these for your mental health, for your physical health, 
but also for uh, for your um, the the cultivation of your personal kind of portfolio, your your persona as a scientist, your persona as uh, part of the of of the community of society. What have these at the different stages? What do you feel that these extracurricular activities have brought you? Uh, you know, in term, you know, kind of a little extra apart from your academic uh, evolution and your academic work. I would say the the most important thing I would say confidence confidence in yourself that you are able to do something outside of academia and you are able to venture outside of of the structure the academic structure and being able to get stuff done even though you don't have a boss that that giving you that deadlines that you show up to yourself you show up to the work and i think that's the most important thing that i took away from this uh, another thing is just just honing and sharpening those soft skills um The Dean of Graduate Study at UNMC, Dr. Dale Davies, he said that most of the learning in BHD is done outside the lab, and I completely agree with him. Most of the learning is done outside the lab, is done with your time management, is done with you searching for the information, finding it, cultivating the information, organizing it and put it in a presentable way, is able to communicate effectively, is able to get stuff done. Um, And in that, in those, and, and you cannot see it sometimes visibly in academia, in the structure that we have right now in the lab, but you can see it very clearly in those extracurricular work, no matter what, how small they are. Uh, so I really encourage PhD students, master's students, if they can, and they have the bandwidth to take up on extracurricular work to do so. And I imagine that another aspect that it must bring... Uh, But again, I, I'd like to have your your own experience. Has to do with networking. You mentioned uh, in the in the newsletter that you're looking forward to having collaborators. Uh, I imagine that uh, when you were on TikTok, there was some connections that were made there. How do you see that being important as a young researcher, and then as a you know as a growing researcher or a growing professional afterwards? Net Networking is very, very important, Be getting yourself out there, especially in the field of science. No matter how big your field of science, it's still very small and everybody knows everybody. So it's very important to put yourself out there, to start collaborating with people, to start working with people, and also to know a little bit about yourself, what is your collaboration style. And just to know, to know what kind of people you're willing to work with and what kind of people you're not. Uh, I have a lot of opportunities to work with people But then I know those people. I worked with them a little bit on, I don't know, organizing this webinar. And they, like, our, our personalities sometimes clash. So I'm like, you know what? I'm good, but let's keep the friendship. Let's not do the collaboration. Let's just keep the friendship. Um, so it's really important. And for networking, do not just network up, networking with people very further in your career. That's a mistake I did. Network laterally, like with Uh, with people in your current state too, because you're going to grow together. Those people going to become, you're going to move with those people. Those people going to be your network, your group, your um, support group. Also network with people that to you right now doesn't seem like they can, your work can going to be collaborative, 
But in the future, you will be in situation where you would do interdisciplinary work. Um, like, for example, I network with people that in packaging, I network with people in immunology, something completely different than what I do. And it's also good because at the end, when you have them on LinkedIn, and sometimes they like a conference or they like a paper, it's just add to you. And you're like, hmm, I guess I didn't know about this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's uh it makes total sense to me and i imagine and i and i can predict that with the newsletter this your this network is going to grow for you and is potentially going to going to have uh impact or or echo in your professional uh avenues afterwards because like you said there's a there's a side a side in in networking uh, in this context that is learning about what's out there in other people uh, organizations but also about yourself and about where you see yourself professionally because you start knowing you start hearing what these people have to say you start having conversations and then it kind of creates a map in in your mind of okay this sounds interesting this not so much and I, and, and i think often like you said there's this era of just networking up but the, also just of thinking oh networking needs to yield positive results and it's not it's like in science negative negative results are also important and they inform what comes after so i totally agree with what you with what you shared now about the pharma weekly digest can you can you just uh let us know when you started it uh you know what what's the what's the the frequency and what's the content that you're kind of covering I started the Pharma Weekly Digest is when I noticed that there is a knowledge gap. Um, for example, sometimes I would ended up reading something that reading something and then bring it back to my group, and then there is the people have not heard about it yet, and it's understandable because there is a huge noise and there is a huge um, then uh, there is an overwhelming amount of news in the pharma world. There is a lot of advancement in the world, so I recognize that gap, and I recognize that I am the best person to do it because I am always on top of news. I love to know what's happening, where, and what are people reacting to it. So. I just decided, how about I start a simple newsletter? I wasn't very comfortable to get on front of the camera to do a YouTube channel or something. I tried it with TikTok. I tried it with TikTok and it just didn't end well for me. So I was like, an, a newsletter, would it would be low maintenance. Um, I, can, I would be able to do it. It would be a very good, easy, digestible format of the news. Um, and I started it on my birthday, 5th of August of this year. <laughs> Because I just wanted it to be a gift for myself because I was, I really wanted to provide a value. And I really thought, and I really believe that I am the person to bring that value, to bring that type of newsletter that consolidates the news for this week, what you need to know, what's the hype about, where, where, where's, what's everybody thinking about in the pharmaceutical field, and just providing it to my fellow scientists and to be of value, be of use for mother science, uh, if you might say. Yeah. And what's your process? You know, there's, you already mentioned that you have, you're kind of scanning the news uh, in, at a certain uh, part of, the, of your day, in the, at the beginning of your day each day. Uh, but then um, in terms of, of actually uh digesting the content and then writing preparing and publishing what does that look like 
I guess I'm in, in, in the stage of my career where I am very well connected and I have resources that tells me what's important right now, or you would be able to identify it. Um, so for example, I do not just check the news, I actually check uh, the recent published papers, the papers that my network was liking and retweeting and um, reposting. Um, I would, I have a list of scientists in the field that prominent scientists in the field, and I keep tab on what, what they're putting out there. Um, I have, I'm a member of a lot of scientific communities like the AABS and ASCBT. And when I go to these scientific um, meetings, I, I just observe what everybody's doing. What, where is the hype about? So after I just have like this mental note of where I need to look, I just bring it all together and I sift through the most important three news of the week and the two most relevant scientific papers that people should read because it has good stuff and the most important uh, event that students should be part of. Like, for example, where to submit your abstract. Um, this new webinar that's coming out with this uh, amazing scientist. And then I just I just put it together in a nice template that I created just to expedite the process. And then I just share it with my team a few hours before or like the night before just for them to review it and tell me, okay, this is relevant. Yes, we agree. This is awesome. Put it out or not. And also for them to proof check me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's my process. Excellent. And now... You know, hearing that process, I can I can't help but think that this is going to have a positive impact on your writing, the writing of your thesis, or maybe articles that are coming up. And uh, because this episode is called venturing uh, into into uh, new spaces, it's not exactly that that, but it it feels to me now here that that a big uh, element of what we're talking about is how you can kind of choose something let's say extracurricular, but that also contributes to what you need to do to finish your degree. Do you have any reflection on that? Hmm. I am a big advocate of the experimental experiment period. I don't know if you heard about it. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, The Outlier, he talks about the 10,000 hours to master skills. But Beeble seems to forget a very important chapter in his book where he talks about the experimental period. And he referenced, he talks about Tiger Woods. Before Tiger Woods become the greatest Tiger Woods in golf, he experimented with different types of sports like tennis and, and other, and, and, you know, other, uh, other sports. So I really recommend the experimental period and what's better time to do it in your early career to figure out what you really like so experiment i did a lot of things to experiment there is a t- i become a tiktok influencer i become a, con- a content creator i became a web developer I, I know how to code, so why not? I became um, licensing specialist. I did a little bit of a writing, a writing assistant, and just experiment and experiment and experiment. Especially if you're lucky like me, I have a very supportive mentor. Um, just experiment and just see what really sticks, what really feed you and energize you. It makes you not think of it as work, but think of it as something fun that I get to do uh, so the experiment period i really i highly recommend it of course and uh, now you, you mentioned a subject that it's really really interesting to me and and that i'm really curious about when someone mentions it it's mentorship um can you talk a little bit about how your mentor 
helps you uh, and and supports you in your projects in you in the different aspects of what you do i have the best mentor ever <laughs> dr dj murray um and he is very supportive. He is he's the kind of mentor that wants me to venture outside and figure out what I want to do. And and this is I cannot emphasize how important it is to take your time and become a good mentor for you. Um my mentor was not just supportive for me venturing outside of academia, but also helping me build my confidence. There are so many times where I didn't want to take season opportunity, but he would be like, no, I think you would be great for that opportunity. And I actually was. Um, so having a mentor, having a, one supportive mentor is very good, but also you need to have multiple mentors in different aspects. Um, of your career and different types of skills. I have another mentor, Dr. Yashabal Chankar. He's a great mentor in the lab and teaching me how to do skills and, and where the, the field is going. Uh, I have another mentor in writing. I have another mentor in um, even playing my instrument right here. <laughs> I have a mentor. Um, it's just, you, need, you need mentors in every aspect. And that's something Dr. Emma, um, when she came into your podcast, she talked about having several several mentors and let me tell you it's just you do not do not just limit yourself to one mentor do not limit yourself to one mentor in one um aspect ha have as many as you can have as many mm. as you can of course now i just want to bring up uh so past guest amala buzainab saying great point about the experiment period yes it is it is very important thank you amal glad that you are that you are watching today and uh and uh, and uh, for sharing uh, for sharing this this point, which is true, you didn't you do if you don't try things, you can't know that you don't like them. You you also can't know that you like them, but you you also don't have a basis to decide this is not for me. So uh, it, it is it is really important. Uh, now man, you were mentioning an instrument. Is it the uh, an oud uh, oud? It is. Okay. It is. Yes. Because it's kind of hidden between your your name tag. <laughs> But I, I yeah. just saw the the handle. I don't know the it's, if you say the handle. I don't know if that's the right term. But yeah, uh, okay, okay. Wow, that's a, it's a traditional instrument, right? Yes, uh, I'm Middle Eastern, so it's a huge thing. Uh, and I want to learn how to play it because my uncle was a very uh, good player and he was famous. Um, so I I, th I wanted to keep the tradition. Also, that just takes me into a point where do not give up on your hobbies when you do your graduate school. That's I fail. I fa I fell for that. I gave up on a lot of my 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 skills like painting, yoga, running, zumba, and playing an instrument. Do not really. It's just as important as cultivate as allocating time for your school. Is just as important to allocate time to pursue other things and especially hobbies. And and do not try to monetize them. That will take the fun away from them. Hobbies are hobbies. Enjoy them. They're 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 a ta they're type of uh, task that where you get to reset yourself, um, release Refuel. some stress. Yeah, to to rejuvenate and um, and enjoy your your uh, enjoy life. That's that's the the, the the most important thing. Enjoy life. It's true. Now, of course, I brought up Amal's. Um, 
comment and but we were talking about mentors and that's also what brought me to to your instrument because i see it there just a little bit of it behind your name tag uh but i you know i i also find music very very enticing but going do back you, to mentors, hold on do yeah. you play any instrument i i do play an instrument but you know i i started learning it as a grown-up already the clarinet that's mine oh okay interesting <laughs> but enough about me <laughs> uh but yes but but uh, i do agree anytime so ju just as a note about music uh, when i was in university i was in the choir at the university of lisbon i loved being part of of a choir uh and i've i've been able during my life to do some of that at, at different stages then the kids arrived and then everything changed but um music has has been very i wouldn't say therapeutical but but it's kind of creates a different space where you forget about anything else and you're co-creating with with a group of people or with someone else depending if it's a, a teacher or you're in a, a duet or whatever when you have an instrument like you it's different but um i, I totally know what you mean about rejuvenating and, and resourcing yourself yeah um but back to mentors how do you know when someone has become your mentor and i know i'm bringing this question out of the blue but uh, I don't know whether you have a, 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 an idea or, or a concept about this. I have an answer for you. I learned it from my yoga mentor. She taught me that. She said, when the student is ready, the mentor will appear. You would know if that's your mentor. The when you are ready to learn that skill, when you're ready to take it up a notch, the mentor will appear. That is. A, a universal law you the mentor will, will appear you just need to be in a position of able to receive and able to take that mentorship because some people they just they really doesn't welcome criticism constructive criticism or someone just to criticize their work but you need to be able to you need when you're ready but in put yourself in a position where you're ready where you're actively continuing to learn where you're actively meeting new people not just people in in the same s level of skill set but also a little bit higher than you and just be in a position where you're ready where you ask people for feedback and believe me the mentor would appear it appeared for me when i was ready to learn yoga is heavier for me when I was ready to to do my PhD and my master's it's heavier to me when when everything I, I pursued the mentor did appear so I don't know but do you agree with this answer how did you find your mentors it, to me it really ties in with what you said about the experiment uh, experimentation period it, uh, while trying things while trying uh myself like four years ago thinking oh i might start a podcast let's start reading about it and once you start putting something into the world i i agree totally that that that's when your your radar is going to be open to to seeing who's talking about this who's interesting and then uh, uh, these encounters do happen uh, but it does take experimenting and then putting some of your you know blood sweat and tears into position in yourself position yourself it's like you're ready to take it like give it to me universe just position yourself that's it that's it which which means you need to put yourself out there yeah 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 i totally agree how about i share with you the story how i found my masters and phd mentor dr dj murray i had a previous mentor in my undergrad um he was uh, a scientist that i 
look up to and was the person that I came to and I told them that I really don't want to be a pharmacist. I don't think this is for me. And he was the person that positioned me to go apply for master's. And I kind of really trusted him. And then he was the one who told me, you know who I think would be a great mentor for you? A mentor named Dr. DJ Murray. He's in America though. And he mentored this other student that did very well. Her name is Amal. And she's in Jordan. And maybe you can talk to her about her experience. And I was like, okay. So I talked to her. She spoke very highly of Dr. DJ Murray. And then I spoke with other students of him. And then I was like, hmm, let me go and just talk to, to Dr. DJ Murray. And, and I did. And I was like, this is my mentor. And that is how I found. So this would go into an advice I give PhD students. Pick the mentor first. Do not pick the name of the college. Do not pick, do, just pick your field of study, what you want to do, and then pick the mentor. It doesn't really matter where he was because my mentor was in Iowa State University and he moved to UNMC. And then I was like, I'm going to follow you. So pick the mentor. And the best way to pick the mentor is speak to his previous student. What is your experience with that mentor? So this is how I found my mentors. And to be honest, this is how I found all of my mentors. Even when I was doing my yoga training, I'm a certified yoga instructor. Before I was even doing my um, yoga training, I talked with a lot of yoga instructors and who is the best yoga instructor in town that I can go to. And everybody was like, oh, Susie Amandala, she's, a she's amazing. So this is how I find my mentors. I don't know how you found yours because you didn't have a very good experience. Yeah, well, not during the PhD, but later on, it was it was through finding an interest and then trying to, again, like you, opening my radar to who's out there talking about this interest of mine in a way that resonates with me and then reaching out, asking questions, and then eventually, you know, kind of maturing into a mentorship uh, relationship. It was, it was very similar to what you said, but I, during the PhD, I didn't have the bandwidth. I was not attuned to, to any of that. And, and so I, I, you know, I, I didn't, let's say, help myself, uh, in that domain while I was doing it. Did you did you do a master's before your PhD or did you just go straight to PhD? So it's that that should be an easy answer, but <laughs> <laughs> what happened is I did my bachelor's in Portugal. In okay. a time where bachelors in Portugal were five years. And so eventually the they, they kind of unified the whole system in Europe and I got an an equivalency to a master's. But I did have as which was what was special is I did finish my uh, bachelor's with kind of a long end of bachelor's project, but it's not, it, you know, it wasn't, I, I wasn't going through it thinking I'm doing a master's degree. I got an, an equivalency later on. Oh, okay. I'm asking because sometimes it would be helpful to transition to master's first Get yourself together. Know, know the ins and outs of uh, a higher degree and then go to PhD. That's what I did. Some people just go straight to PhD. I applied those people. I'm not one of them. I need, I need a little bit to tip my fingers in the water before I jump right in. I think it's very smart. It's very smart to do that. And it's something that I recommend all the time. Because he, uh, here also in Canada now, uh, I've you know, that people can start the master's and they can actually be rushed to 
after one year of master's, things are going well, let's put you into the PhD. And uh, I've had different interviews and with people saying, take your time, do your master's, there's no rush. Do your master's, see if you like research, see if, if, if you see yourself in this activity, in this you know, in this community and, and doing this for another uh, here in Canada, it can go to five years, six years. So yeah, no, I'm totally with you in that. Do go step by step and then take time to assess and to, to kind of do a, um, yeah, kind of a balance of, okay, I, I did this. Am I, you know, am I uh, going to gain something personally or is it aligned with me to go and do the other next thing? Yeah. And especially that I did my master's and my PhD in the same university. So the coursework that I did for my master just went to my PhD. And also I didn't branch out a little more further from the the research work that I did in my master's. I kind of like bridged it. Um, so master's was, did not really waste my time. How Like sometimes people say it's a waste of time, just jump into a PhD. Master did not waste my time. It was it was a good transition. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, that's my experience. We are now reaching the, the, the end of our interview. Time has gone so fast. Um, you know, we, the, the, again, the title was venturing beyond traditional roles and, you know, the traditional route, uh, uh in academia, it would be you do your bachelor's, you do a master's, you do your PhD, you become a you know young researcher, postdoc one year, two years, and then and then researcher, uh, and, and then ideally having your lab tenure tenure track, etc. It is now known and come and very well known that on the, the tenure track route is out there for fifteen percent of people who start a PhD. Uh, you know, uh, even less in some in different in different spaces and different domains, uh, or also a little bit more in other domains. I think in the social sciences it's a little bit different. But uh, why I was super excited to have this conversation with you was uh, because I find that it's really interesting and important to dip your toe in different roles, non-traditional roles while you are a young researcher uh, like you are you know like a graduate researcher um did you have any other reflections uh, around that based on your experience during your bachelor's during your master's and now during your phd that is a great question and if because we're at the end of the interview I would like to say if you left this interview with nothing but this idea I highly encourage you and the idea is are you ready for it, David? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. You as a PhD student, as a person with a PhD, you just, you have the highest degree ever known to men. You have the highest degree in the academic system. Your option should not be academia or industry, especially if you're doing it in STEM. You have all of the set of skills that, qualify you to walk to any job and say, I have a PhD in this, give me a job. 
you know how to do math, you know how to do coding, you know how to time manage, you know how to search for information and find them and bring them, you know how to, your resilience, you know how to get stuff done, you know how to answer a question that nobody ever answered in research. So why limit yourself to either academia or industry? And that's why I encourage everybody, venture outside of these roles. There are a lot of roles. A lot of roles. You can get any job you want as a PhD, any job. So why limit yourself? And that's why I've tried to venture in my career. I tried to see what I can do and and just see what, where I can apply these transferable skills. Uh, so that is the idea that I would leave you with. Do not, do not, do not operate from a place of scarcity, from a place of fear, from a place of who's going to give me a job. You have a valuable skills that that can be of use that can be of of where you can be of service for others where you can help the community and help your 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 beers and and by providing the service so shift your mindset into i have a valuable skill people want it people will pay for it and i will perform it to the highest of my ability and there you go that's that's <laughs> that's my idea it's it's true. It's a it's a, a great way to kind of summarize th this very important concept of society needs PhDs. You are working very hard to get this degree. You are maybe taking some uh, um, delay in in entering the the more financially productive part of your life to go learn these things. You are totally entitled to uh, after. Uh, in in vision and and uh, vie for uh, positions where you can leverage this degree and eventually grow a, a productive and and comfortable career. And I can I can tell you after all these like four years, more than four years of podcast and with projects that I'm involved in now, that you are needed in policy, you are needed in the municipal system, you are needed, of course in industry uh you are needed in uh governmental entities uh, that need young people who have like you said these capacities in data data crunching data visualization uh you know data scientists uh, and this these are even needed in in industry right now in different industries i've talked with someone who did a phd and a postdoc in chemistry and was working as a data uh, scientist in fashion, so com completely separate. But the trans the, the the transferable skills are there, and the need is there. Waffle. One one thing that I, I I kind of also I love what you what you said. It's a very important message that you know you could you could have they could have come come out of my mouth because I try to say this all the time. So thank you for sharing that. I do want to kind of try to find the 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 thread. That goes through all that you shared, and it feels to me like the approach that that uh, that you've had is a very proactive one, but also careful one. You talked about this this uh, question of the the experimenting period, so it feels to me like what you're proposing is that people uh, allow themselves to explore, but not without uh, taking time and taking investment from their project, from their uh, graduate school project. You have to be cautious and like for example my priority number one priority is getting that bhd let me tell you something that's my priority number one priority the moment that my bhd work start i start to slip through 
start to not become a priority, that's when I stop and I'm like, no, 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 I need a PhD in my life. I need to be Dr. Wafa. <laughs> so I need to go back. And as a scientist, to be honest, we're cautious too. We, we, operate, um, we operate through data and taking steps and following protocol. So take that and apply it into whatever you do. And also, um, Napoleon, the great um, warrior, um, um, he never go into a battlefield until he knows his way out. So for me, I always, no matter what I pursue, I always know what my safety net, how I go back, and how I can pursue further. Um, I always outweigh my my options. Um, the thing that I want to ask you about that I'm struggling with, and I was hoping you would help me with, is the fear of people laughing at you. How do you overcome this? Because you've ventured a lot outside of PhD. And as a scientist, I'm really fearful that people will stop taking me seriously especially like when I was making those funny TikToks and doing this newsletter and just being on your podcast. How do you overcome this, the fear of being laughed at or not being taken seriously? It's funny because I've been, uh, you know, I've been watching uh, these uh, shows about around comedy and the same question came up. And the reflection that the person said it was very simple, but also very true, which, which is think about how many people are around you they don't they don't really care they no one's going to judge you really maybe someone is going to have too much time on their hands and send you a a, a weird comment on a, a social network you can ignore it uh and uh, to me it's happened someone uh, at the beginning of papa phd said sent a comment about oh papa phd this is very patriarchal uh so you know and and it was someone coming out of left field completely and actually, I had some compassion for the pers- person thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to, instead of just ignoring, I'm going to just tell her why I, I named it Papa PhD. I had become a father not long not long before. I had a PhD. This was a new chapter in my life. And I explained it. And I think I got a follower after That's that. That's amazing. So, so th- there's, yeah, depending on the nature of whatever comes negative uh, towards you, you can just ignore it and say, okay, this is a troll. I don't need to to t- to uh, to take care of it, uh, or dep- if it's just someone that's misinformed, you can take kind of the compassionate approach and go towards the person. But artists, comedians, uh, actors are very well known for this one thing: they don't look at social media. They do their thing, and then that's and then that's it. And of course, if you're a content creator, like you said, you need to interact to some extent, but don't need don't let any of that touch you. And also, if you have an idea, and I'm saying this, and I have ideas that I'm not yet matured or or that I don't feel that are mature enough, and in the back of my mind, there is this question of, oh, will it be judged this way or that way? So I'm saying this not because I'm applying it 100%. I also want to be better at applying it, but I can tell you, there's so many people out there. Do your thing. Don't worry about it. Uh, people are are going about their things and they're worried about about their lives. Uh, do do your thing. Be you. Do you that 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 would be. I know it feels too simplistic, maybe, but I'm I'm. Te- if you want some reassurance from someone that it's it's okay, I'm telling you, it's okay. Okay. It. Alrighty, I'll, I'll write it on my 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 desk. Be you. Do you. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. My gosh, this is a great way to to finish the interview, I believe. But I don't want to finish before asking you. I know for people watching, there's some contact scrolling here in the bottom in Instagram and, and uh, 
Twitter or X now. Can you please uh, quickly share how can people reach you? What's the best way to ask a question or to say thank you for what you shared or to to say it resonated with me? Um, Yeah, I would love to meet um, some listeners who benefited from me coming on on a podcast because this is my first podcast ever this is yeah this is my first podcast interview ever so the pharma weekly digest is on twitter it's also on instagram also if you go to the pharma weekly digest instagram you don't have to scroll a lot to find my personal instagram you can leave me a message there as well we're also on linkedin um you can leave us a message there as well and um yeah uh, i'm happy to meet other pharmaceutical scientists, um, happy to collaborate and, and happy to meet new people and just um, explore and see where, uh, where, where, where this might take us um, and just venturing outside of BHD. Excellent. And please, please, if you're watching, if you're listening and you're feeling shy, just contact us, just contact uh, Wafa. Uh, we are uh, open to be, you know, you, if you've listened, you've heard our energy. We're kind of nice, easy to talk to people. Don't don't hesitate and don't let your introversion uh, block this kind of networking to happen, which which I think is is has great potential. So, um, Wafa, this is this is it. Thank you so much for having uh, shared this uh, almost hour with me and with the audience of Beyond the Thesis. I'm I'm really really happy we could. Thank have you this for having me. I really enjoyed um, talking with you and just talking to your listeners. Thank you for listening to another Beyond the Thesis conversation with me, David Mendez, and my guest Wafa Aldafiri. If you'd like to support the show and help me produce more interviews like this, just go to papaphd.com forward slash PayPal and donate there. And if you want to help a little bit more, please go to papaphd.com forward slash audience and fill in the survey that is there for you and leave a comment so I can give you a shout out in a future episode. Thank you for being a fan. Happy listening and happy sharing. 